You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey you, welcome to this week's episode. There are a couple of changes that I need to let you know about. The first is because of the very sweeping changes that are being made as a result of FOSTA and SESTA and Facebook's updated guidelines, which I did a little emergency episode about recently, I have changed the name of both the Patreon page and the Facebook page for the podcast so that the names don't trigger any of the violation algorithms. So instead of facebook.com slash sex gets real, you can now find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash SGR podcast. So SGR for sex gets real. So SGR podcast. That's also the new link for Patreon. So if you want to support the show as things become rather dire out in the world, and as it will become more and more difficult for me to share the show, your support's going to mean a lot. I also don't know how long I'll be allowed to stay on Patreon's website, considering that this show does talk about sex and the laws that got passed are rather ridiculous, and there's a chance Patreon will not only mark me adult, but ban me entirely in the near future. There's a lot of sex educators who are talking about and worried about the same thing. So in the meantime, you can now find the show at patreon.com slash SGR podcast. So if you're a supporter, and you want to hear all the bonuses, or if you'd like to support the show, you can head to patreon.com slash SGR podcast. Now, the links for all of the things related to the show are always at sexgetsreal.com. You can head to any of the single episodes and find updated links there. And also in the show notes for any episode, if you're listening on a platform like Google Play or iTunes, you should be able to see the show notes and all the links are there. Speaking of Patreon, if you support at $3 and above per month, you get weekly bonus content that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. It's totally exclusive and just for your ears. And if you support at $5 and above, you can help weigh in with your thoughts about listener questions. And I do have some advice from a patron for one of the questions I'll be reading on this week's show. So if you'd like to be able to participate, you can do that at $5 a month and above. And I usually post about two to three questions a month. Plus, you get access to all of that bonus content uh, that gets published every single week. And there's quite a backlog at this point. So all kinds of things for your lovely ears to hear if you're not already supporting the show. Also, a reminder... As things shift, as the potential for me getting banned from Facebook increases and from Patreon, I am very worried about Instagram. It's probably going to be a lot harder to stay in touch with me. So I want to make sure you are on the newsletter. If you head to sexgetsreal.com slash books, that will not only get you on the newsletter if you sign up, but it also gets you immediate access to that super awesome book recommended reading list that I put together a couple of weeks ago. You can also go to exploremoresummit.com and register there. That'll register you for the free conference that I'm putting on at the end of February. This will be our fourth annual, and it also gets your name 
an email address on my newsletter so that I can share news about the podcast with you and let you know where we're going uh, if things change and my pages do get deleted on most of the mainstream social media channels. So make sure I have your information so that we can stay in touch just in case things really go downhill quickly. (laughs) So fingers crossed they don't. I'm trying to do everything I can to keep myself in all the places where you follow. But should that change, if I've got your information, then I can email you and keep you abreast of the show and anything else that's going on. I want to let you know that I'm doing a super fun holiday giveaway. I want to mail you a holiday card handwritten by me and sent directly to your home with a Merry Clitmas card from the Volva Gallery. So I got 10 Merry Clitmas cards that feature the beautiful hand drawings of vulvas from the Volva Gallery. And I want to select 10 special listeners to receive a handwritten holiday card from me. So if you want to enter the drawing, I'm going to randomly select 10 people on December 18th, which means get your information in before then. It's totally free, plus signing up gets you on the newsletter, and you are about to hear why that is going to be real crucial. But if you want to enter the drawing to get a holiday card from me, you can go to sexgetsreal.com holiday, and there you can put your information in. And then hopefully you will get picked and then I'll send you a fun little note just from me to you uh, with this beautiful vulva painting on the cover. Let's dive into listener questions. This first one comes from tell me what I want, what I really, really want. (laughs) That's the name they listed. And the subject line is masturbation and the meaning of life. Not necessarily related. Hi, Don. I absolutely love your show and just recently went back and listened to all the older episodes. So much great content. There was one episode with a lengthy discussion between you and a guest about the importance of breathing while masturbating. And I just wanted to share that this has revolutionized my masturbation sessions. I, a cis female, hadn't even realized it, but I was totally holding my breath immediately before and during orgasm. Since hearing your discussion, I've been focusing on breathing all the way through and as a result have had the best orgasms of my life. I cannot thank you enough for enlightening me to this and so many other juicy and thought-provoking topics. I also have a question for you. I am a cis mostly straight female in my late 20s, and I have never been in a romantic relationship. I feel some shame about not having had this experience and gained the associated skills at my age. I feel like I am behind, quote unquote. Lately, I've been thinking about whether or not it's something I actually want or something society tells me I should want and need for fulfilling life. This Is this a don't knock it till you try it situation where I can't know if a romantic relationship is something I actually want unless I've tried it. Additionally, I know logically that there are lots of ways to live a fulfilling life without a romantic relationship or a life partner, but society is so attached to the you can't be happy if you don't have a partner motif that it's hard to know what other models look like. Do you know of any resources that could help me figure this out? Thanks. Tell me what I want, what I really, really want. (laughs) First of all, I love that name. So thank you for that giggle when it hit my inbox. I'm also glad that you've been experimenting with breathing and masturbation. There are so many incredible things that our bodies do to help us not only connect with ourselves, but with pleasure. And sometimes small changes and practicing new techniques can yield tremendous results for us. This is especially important as our bodies change, whether it's post-pregnancy or post-menopause or post-puberty or whatever it is, post-injury. 
our bodies are constantly changing and being able to have that curiosity of what happens if I change my breathing during orgasm is yielding the best orgasms of your life. Yes, I love that you gave yourself permission to try that. And I hope that that kind of spirit of adventure continues for you because who knows what else you might discover your body is capable of down the road. Thank you so much for listening. Now, for your question about not having been in a romantic relationship, you really hit the nail on the head. You're aware that the myths and the stories that are highly prized in our current iteration of culture and society, especially here in the United States and Canada, is that that um, places tremendous value, peak value on romantic relationships and romantic love. It's a hierarchy of love that does not need to exist, but it does exist. And it's pushed down our throats from cartoons at the youngest of ages through magazines all the way up through YA novels and into adulthood and all of the movies that we consume, it can be really difficult to find alternative stories about living a rich, fulfilling life without a romantic partner and without wanting that or seeking that. It is 100% possible. And there are all kinds of people talking about it, creating around it, and thinking about how we can, one, shift society to kind of flatten that hierarchy out, but two, alternative ways to live our lives where we have more choices, where we don't feel like the only way to get our needs met is in doing it this one specific way. I want to say there's lots of people who are in their late 20s and early 30s who haven't ever really been in a relationship. Well, I'll say romantic relationship because you've got all kinds of relationships. And that's another thing that we're trained to do by the messages and the pop culture that we're surrounded by is seeing I'm in a relationship as exclusively meaning a romantic, usually sexual relationship. But you have so many relationships in your life that are full of all different kinds of love and they're all really valuable and important. From platonic friends to neighbors to colleagues and family to pets. Meg John Barker was the first person I talked to that really planted that seed for me. That all of these relationships, including with our pets, with our colleagues, with people that we write with in workshops, with people that we do pottery with, all of those relationships are meaningful, nourishing, fulfilling. They can be supportive. And they can be things that we lean on and draw resources, inspiration, kindness um, from. And as a culture, we tend to devalue that that those things are less than being in a romantic relationship, which is fundamentally untrue. But when that's the reality, it's really hard to see beyond that, especially when a lot of the people in your life around you have bought into that, they're going to not be able to really see an alternative often. So I found all kinds of resources for you to check out and to send you down the rabbit hole of looking for people who might inspire you in talking about this. As I mentioned, Meg John Barker, who wrote Rewriting the Rules and also co-wrote Enjoy Sex with Justin Hancock. They have put out a number of books and zines all about gender and relationship styles. Meg John is amazing and talks frequently about essentially relationship anarchy, which is removing the hierarchy from our relationships and seeing all relationships as completely and totally unique. And no one relationship is more important than another. They're just different. So getting involved with a relationship anarchy group might be something that's really interesting to you. One of the things I've noticed in the relationship anarchy group that I'm a part of on Facebook is that 99.9% of the posts are still about romantic sexual relationships. Very few people are asking questions or sharing resources around non-romantic, non-sexual relationships, which I think says a lot. 
I also think it's because often there's a lot less tension and drama in our platonic relationships, in our um, peer relationships, in our creative relationships. There's really not a whole lot of vying or, or drama or jealousy going on in those relationships in my life. It's the romantic sexual stuff that sometimes can feel more complicated. And so maybe that's why not as much is getting shared there. But do know there are people who are creating all kinds of content around relationship anarchy. And like anything, choose wisely who you follow and who you listen to. There are a lot of people talking and teaching about relationship anarchy who have some pretty, pretty toxic views. They see any form of monogamy whatsoever as abusive, and they really have some strong opinions about the ways other people live their lives that might be different from how they'd like to live theirs. So I encourage you when you're looking for experts that are talking about relationship anarchy, look for people who really are trying to find ways to validate the multitude of human experience, while also calling out a lot of the toxic messaging that we're getting about love and romance. I also found a whole bunch of links and articles. I'm going to post those on the website for this episode. So if you go to sexgetsreal.com slash EP242 for episode 242, you're going to see a big long list of links. So here are some of the things that I found. My hope isn't that this is the final answer for you, but that this is a jumping off point for going down the rabbit hole of all the different types of people who are thinking and writing about this very thing you're asking. So the first is an article on Bustle called Nine YA Books with No Romance to Read as an Antidote to Valentine's Day. Now, I know you're not looking for an antidote to Valentine's Day per se, but I do think that finding stories that inspire us and light us up and show us alternative ways of being that don't center around romance are so important. It combats and counters this soup we're swimming in that pretty much only values romantic sexual relationships. There's another link that I found on electric literature called We Need More Books Without Romance, and it goes into why. There was also a Dear Prudence letter recently uh, called The Relentlessly Friendly Neighbor Edition, and someone who is asexual wrote in asking for resources of books and movies that didn't involve romance or sex. And the Dear Prudence Um, followers actually wrote in with lots of suggestions and Dear Prudence rolled that all up into a little resource guide. And it's a whole bunch of movies and books not focused around romantic love. There's also this really great article I found on the value of platonic love in Art for Ourselves, which is a nice little reflection on the ways that this particular person has experienced a devaluing of platonic love in their life, and why they really want to center platonic over romantic or sexual love. There are two ACE resources that I'm including as well about what it means to be aromantic. Now, I'm not saying that you, listener, identify as aromantic, but there are lots of really interesting resources in these aromantic FAQs and um, resource lists that include links to articles about living in relationships that are platonic and caring and supportive without having any kind of romance or sex. Uh, One of them is a queer platonic, quasi platonic relationship. There is a blog post that they link to all about um, queer platonic relationships and where we can learn more and who's doing it. So I'm going to include these aromantic links so that you can just go and look at all the resources and the people who are creating around this, because whether or not you identify as a romantic, this might be a place to find some community. There's also this wonderful piece that's back from 2016 in the thought catalog called This is Why I'm Choosing to Remain Single Forever. It's really interesting. It talks about the critics and people who are just pushing so much for 
romantic love. And one of the things that they cite is a recent study that found that never married singles were more likely to have active social lives than married couples, as well as a greater tendency to offer help to friends, family, and their communities. Now, for an outgoing person, that would be wonderful news. For an introvert, that might be the most terrifying thing ever. (laughs) But I'm just offering that people are kind of studying this and thinking about it. There's another piece that um, someone recommended to me that's several years old. It's from 2012, but it's called Single by Choice, Why More of Us Than Ever Are Happy to Never Get Married. And then uh, I also found this interesting statistic while I was doing all this research that women, however the researchers defined that, are more likely to be happy single than men. Again, however, the researchers defined that. My guess is cis men and cis women. But they found that 76% of women reported being satisfied with a single life, as opposed to only 67% of men. And the key reason for happiness was the people who were choosing singlehood. And in fact, the researchers found that because of the ways we're socialized in our culture and then the gender binary, men run the risk of becoming more isolated than women do when they are single, which is why um, marriage can be particularly, quote unquote, protective move for men to meet their social needs. Hello, toxic masculinity and sexism and patriarchy and femphobia and all the other things. Whereas for women, again, social constructs and things uh, are able to find more happiness because they're not carrying that burden of needing someone else to do the emotional labor for them. So there's all kinds of people talking about this, writing about this, creating listicles around this, which is to say, tell me what I want, what I really, really want, that you are not alone. You are not broken. You do not need to be in a relation, a romantic relationship for a fulfilling life. I do want to offer that being in relationship with other humans and being in community is crucial for our overall health and happiness and growth. So as long as you've got meaningful relationships of a variety of types in your life with friends and family and colleagues, then the sky is the limit. You can flirt, you can have sex, you can delight in all the things you want to do without ever having to engage in some type of romantic primary partnership. So check out the resources that I'm sharing. Again, sexgetsreal.com slash EP242 for episode 242. Check out uh, whatever you can find on relationship anarchy and tread carefully. There is just as much toxicity I'm seeing in some of the relationship anarchy communities as I've seen in poly communities, as I've seen in uh, Christian monogamy communities. I mean, you know, toxicity everywhere. So just trust your gut and know you're not behind. You're not doing life wrong. In fact, I think it's pretty rad that you have given yourself permission to even start asking questions about living this non-normative approach to life. There are going to be so many things that you can choose for yourself that you'll discover um, without having to do something that doesn't feel like a good fit for you. And I also want to name, you can be the kind of person who says, I really don't want romance in my life. I'm choosing all these other relationships. I see them as just as valuable. There's no hierarchy in my life. And you can move through life and then something can happen where it changes. And much like thinking you're straight and then realizing at some point that you're queer or bi, or thinking that you're cis and then at some point realizing you're non-binary or trans, there is no kind of betrayal or lying or regret that needs to come up around that. We're allowed to change. So you're allowed to change your mind. You're also allowed to be exactly who you are now for as long as you want to be and as long as feels good. But I love that you're asking the question. And hopefully all of these links and resources give you uh, lots of different opportunities for connecting with writers and authors and community leaders who you can follow on social media that are pushing against this 
kind of dictate that you have to be in a romantic relationship in order to be a worthy, happy, peak human being, because that is fundamentally not true. Thank you so much for writing in. If anybody has any other resources that they want to share that I can pass along to tell me what I want, what I really, really want, feel free to email me at the show. You can go to sexgetsreal.com and use the send a note feature to get me anything that you might know of that I could then pass along to the community for other people who are asking this question. Patreon supporters, if you support at $3 and above, this week's bonus content is going to be about defining desire. I was reading through writing ourselves whole, using the power of your own creativity to recover and heal from sexual trauma by Jen Cross again. And there's this great little exercise in there about um, defining and exploring desire. And the question is, what are you waiting for the stars to bring? We're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to read an excerpt from the book and then explore a little bit of what my desire looks like and invite you to do the same and to share it uh, in the comments for that post. So again, patreon.com slash SGR podcast is the new link. I would love to see you there. This next question comes from Michaela. And the subject line is boyfriend can't orgasm during sex. Hey, Dawn, I want to start by saying I love listening to your podcast. It brings me quite the laugh and has helped me in the past with some issues with my sex life. But I have a different challenge with my boyfriend now. He and I have been together for a while. We've been having great sex for the past year or so. He has no issues getting it on, but when it comes to finishing, he can't seem to. It's put quite the strain on our sex life, and I'm not sure how to help or at least not feel like it's my fault. I'd appreciate any advice or feedback you may have on the subject. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the show and for writing in with your question. This is not unusual. It's very common. And again, like, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Uh, So many of the stories we have around sex, especially someone with a penis, and in your boyfriend's case, his experience, is that orgasm is the end-all be-all of the sexual experience, and if he's not coming, then there must be something wrong. My first question would be, does he feel distressed about this? If kind of the history of the strain wasn't there, And way back in the beginning, when the two of you were engaging in sex and doing your thing and having fun, and then he didn't come, was that distressful to him? Or did it become distressful for the two of you because of your feelings? And you kind of, is something wrong? Is there something else I should be doing? Did somehow shame or intense feelings come up because of your dynamic rather than just him and his body and how it is. If he doesn't feel distress about it, then I think letting it go and doing whatever you can to just trust him and his body is going to be super important. There's lots of reasons why he can't orgasm during sex or why he isn't right now, at least. Pressure has a lot to do with whether or not we can come, regardless of our gender. If we're feeling pressure to come, if we're feeling worried we might not come, one, that can impact our level of arousal, and two, that can impact whether or not we can achieve orgasm. Because if we're in our head thinking about our orgasm, and we're not in our body just savoring and enjoying all that pleasure, orgasm's going to be pretty hard to come by. I'm also curious about the ways that he masturbates. If he uses a very particular stroke or grip, and only that particular stroke or grip to come to orgasm when he's on his own, recreating that during partnered sex can be kind of challenging. You know, vaginas and vulvas and mouths feel really different than hands or toys. So that might be something else. If he wants to investigate this, it might be worth just asking, how does he masturbate? 
Is he coming on his own when he's masturbating and no one else is around? If he's not coming then, then that's a whole different thing. But getting curious about when does his body feel most at ease? Where does he experience the most pleasure? How does he pleasure himself on his own? And then how is he experiencing pleasure with you? Maybe the two of you have super awesome sex and he fucks the daylights out of you and then he goes to another room and he finishes. And maybe that's awesome sex for the two of you. So I have a lot more questions. And I think that one, it has to start with, does he want your help? And if he doesn't, letting it go and trusting him and questioning why you feel like it's your fault. If he's told you things feel really good and this is really fun and I want to keep having sex with you, you even said earlier in your email, we've been having great sex for the past year or so, then that would indicate there's nothing to feel at fault over other than having really great sex. So I think there's some stories happening around what it means for him to orgasm. What do you think it means for him to orgasm? What are the stories you're telling yourself about that? Is that somehow a check mark that you've been a great lover or a great partner? Is it some type of proof that you need that offers you comfort? Is it something he has said or expressed? Investigating those things will offer, I think, some more information around where you should go next. If he's not distressed, if there's been pressure put on him to come, and if you can get creative around ways that he can maximize his pleasure, then all you can do in the end is just trust that he knows his body and he's offering you everything that he can truthfully. And then it's on you to just let it go. (laughs) I was tempted to start singing Let It Go from Frozen, but nobody, nobody needs to hear me singing. Anyway, thank you so much for writing in, Michaela. I love that you're asking these questions. And I think just doing a little bit more investigating into what's underneath of the why. Why is this important to you? And how important is it to him? And then is there something else that the two of you can do? If he's interested in orgasming, he may not be. But if he's interested in orgasming, maybe after all the sex happens, he goes off and he does that on his own if he's coming during masturbation, which you didn't mention. So I'm just guessing. But if he's not coming at all in any circumstance, I would say if it's distressing him, maybe go to the doctor, have some tests run, make sure that there aren't any masses or blockages anywhere. And if his body is doing what it needs to be doing and healthy, then he just has to decide what comes next. Is this a place where he wants to practice, explore, try different techniques or toys? Or is he really okay because the sex is great and the two of you are having fun and this is just a thing that his body does? And the key is in just letting it be what's true and moving on. If you could use more support around that, please do reach out. I've got a couple of coaching spots available and my rates are going up January 1st. So many of you have taken advantage of it. It's amazing. Uh, And I'm really happy to be able to get you in before those rates go up. So Michaela, if you feel like you could use some coaching at any point, feel free to reach out. Otherwise, I hope you continue having great sex. This next question comes from T and the subject line is unsatisfied sexual desire. Hi, Dawn. I'm 23 and have loved the show for years. I've been listening to it since even before I started having sex, and I'm so grateful I had this resource and was able to start my partnered sex life about a year and a half ago with so much more knowledge and confidence than I ever would have had access to if I didn't find your podcast. So thank you. I wanted to write in because I've been struggling with having much more desire for my girlfriend than she does for me. I long for her all the time, and the smallest things she does will get me so turned on. But she doesn't have the same experience. We don't have sex very often, and when we do, I don't really feel satisfied by it because she has a lot of things she isn't into. Oral sex, for example. That with other partners are a big part of sex for me. 
We're two women who have been together for 10 months now and are very communicative and love each other greatly. But our lack of a connected sex life makes me really sad, especially in the moment when I feel like I'm either getting rejected by her or holding myself back because I know the things I want are not shared. We are poly, and I'm pretty slutty, so I usually have other sexual partners who I see for sex, but I still long for more sex with my girlfriend. She knows all of this and tells me I'm very normal for wanting more sex with her and that she's sorry she can't reciprocate that right now, especially since she's been dealing with a chronic hip injury, basically since we started dating, that has really affected her sex drive and can cause her pain in different sexual positions. I understand that she doesn't have as much of a need for sex as me and definitely don't want to pressure her into having more sex than she's interested in. So my question is, how can I let go of the sexual desire I feel for her in those moments when I know she does not reciprocate? That has been really hard for me and often leaves me feeling very sad and rejected. How can I deal with that sexual frustration and turn it into something positive that leaves me satisfied rather than dejected? Oh, T, there's so much that I, oh, there's so much that I want to offer and ask about and hear about. So again, if at any point you want some sex coaching, reach out because I would love to work with you through some of these things. But that aside, we'll do what we can with a couple of minutes here and see where we end up. So the first thing I just want to acknowledge is your sadness is valid. It's okay to feel sad and disappointed inside of our relationships. I think that's something that culturally we're really terrible at. We don't have many stories or role models that show us that part of being in relationship with other humans is sometimes feeling disappointed, sometimes feeling sad and frustrated or angry. And it doesn't mean that the relationship isn't good and healthy and nourishing. It just means it's multiple humans being in relationship with each other who are going to move through life in different ways and change. And so that's just normal. So your sadness is normal and it's real and it's okay. And I want to just validate that, that that's a truth for you. The other thing that there's so well, there's so many things that pop out to me about this, but um, the, the one thing I just want to offer right up front is you mentioned that your girlfriend has been dealing with a chronic hip injury basically since you started dating and that that's really affected her because it can cause her pain to be in different sexual positions. Living with chronic pain can take a real toll on our bodies. It can take a toll on our mental health and our spiritual health, on them finding pleasure and our relationship to it. So if your girlfriend's experiencing chronic pain, Just getting through a day might be the most that she can do a lot of times. And if something might trigger that pain, it makes sense that she would want to avoid it. So I just want to make space for the fact that pain can really take a lot of our energy and can impact the ways that we connect with our bodies. Sometimes we just really don't want to be in our bodies when they hurt really badly. Sometimes we don't want to be touched when they are hurting. And that doesn't mean that we love the people around us less or that we don't see them as attractive and valuable and wonderful and magical. It just means it is so freaking hard to be in a body that's hurting that sometimes you want to do anything but be in your body, which to have sex and to experience pleasure requires you to be in your body at least a little bit and to be present. Um, And you want to do whatever you can to just numb out, be far away from it. And to experience pleasantness and pleasure at a minimum, no pain whenever you can. So I'm glad that you mentioned that was part of her experience. It makes total sense that if she's in a lot of pain, sex isn't going to be real high on her list of things to do. I also want to just mention, I know you know this, you're poly and you have lots of different types of relationships in your life. But I'm curious about the ways that you want to experience love and connection and maybe the ways that she wants to experience love and connection. I'm thinking a little bit about the five love languages and then kind of translating that a little bit deeper into like intimacy and the erotic. 
most of us default to giving love the way we want to receive love. So if touch is really important to us, we tend to touch our partners a lot and want our partners to touch us a lot. And if our partner's primary love language is not touch, it's maybe gifts, that might feel really confusing for them. It might not feel like love at all to be touched constantly. So I'm thinking about how important sex is for you in this relationship that you have with your girlfriend, especially considering that you have sexual relationships with other people as someone who's poly. What is the meaning of sex to you? What does sex represent? What does it offer? Karen B.K. Chan, who's an amazing therapist and educator out of Toronto, was the first person I talked to who really helped me dive deep into this question. She offers this to her part to her clients as a therapist a lot, which is when you really think about I want to have sex with you. What does sex mean? Why is it important? Is it because it offers more connection? Is it because touch is important? Is it because it gives you this sense of adrenaline and adventure that you're sharing with someone? Is it because that's when you feel like you can be the most vulnerable and seen? There could be a million reasons why for you specifically, sex feels so important. Because usually sex is kind of a stand in for lots of other things. If you can find your way to that answer specifically with your girlfriend, I wonder what are some adjacent things that could start helping you to get some of those needs met. So if for you, sex with your girlfriend means feeling accepted and feeling wanted and being seen, then what are other things that would help you to feel accepted and wanted and seen that your girlfriend and you can do that isn't sex? Maybe it's massages, maybe it's really intense talks and sharing a bath, maybe it's, um, you know, reading books together that are erotic, and then sharing in your experiences, maybe it's um, just pressing naked bodies together and not going beyond that, maybe it's having an alternative definition of what sex can look like. So I have just so much curiosity around the meaning for you. You mentioned that it's hard not to feel rejected. So what I'm picking up on is that sex is a way for you to feel accepted and wanted. What are other ways that your girlfriend helps you to feel accepted and wanted? And how can you build more of that into your life so that it feels more rich? The other thing that I was just kind of thinking about, and this is a little bit of an unfinished thought, but You were asking, how can I deal with the sexual frustration and turn it into something positive? And that just kind of got my juices flowing a little bit around like, what if this sexual frustration you're feeling is something that you could frame as a great thing to feel the sexual frustration and to know I still want this woman so much. I still feel so much desire for her that I'm feeling all this frustration. And that's just a symbol of the depth of the feeling and the things that I want to create with her and, and how deep I want to go with her. And can that be something that you transition into an affirmation of God, I so wish that we could be sexual right now, but I know that that's not something that she wants or her body's just not in a place where that's okay. So let me just sit inside of this frustration and see it as a gift. I think often we try to avoid feeling the things that can feel overwhelming. We don't want to feel the frustration. So we try to push it away by doing everything we can to, to get it out of us or, um, jealousy or insecurity. But what happens if you were to travel inside of it and to really sit in that sexual frustration? How does it feel in your body? Where do you feel that frustration? Is it in your shoulders? Is it in your chest? Is it in your hands? Does it have a temperature or a color? If you were really to just go inside your body and into that feeling and find the sensations, what might it reveal to you? Could that be something that you then turn into fuel for 
um, expressing yourself creatively, maybe writing or painting? Is there a way that you and your girlfriend can use that energy to then do other things and create new rituals for each other that don't have to do with sex? There's a lot of potential in this space, even though it feels heavy and sad and rejected. I feel the potential for lots of movement and creativity, which for me just says there's so much presence of the erotic here in this space right now. There's just a little bit of a mismatch and maybe some opportunities for exploring more deeply your motivations, your feelings, your stories, and then how can you use that to deepen your connection to yourself and to your girlfriend, rather than allowing it to be something that drives a wedge and that feeds your insecurities and that feeds the stories around the rejection. God, there's so much more that I want to ask and talk to you about and support you through, but I hope that that gives you just a jumping off point without me like waxing poetic for the next hour. I feel a lot of potential here that feels really exciting, especially because you're in a situation where you have multiple sexual partners who are meeting all kinds of other needs. So there's this um, rich potential here with your girlfriend to be really deliberate and curious about what are new ways that we might connect that we wouldn't have thought of until now. Ways to touch each other, ways to speak with each other, ways to create with each other, and even for you on your own to be able to really go inside and to befriend some of these feelings. What does this sadness tell you? What does this fear around rejection mean? Where do you feel it in your body and how can you channel it into new things? What would help you to feel super connected to her? Maybe it's even her witnessing you masturbate. In response to you being able to say like, man, I really am feeling some deep erotic feelings for you right now. And I'd love to be able to show you, would you be willing to witness me as I masturbate my desire for you? I mean, there's so many places you could go. My hope is that in hearing my excitement, it triggers some opportunities for you to feel some spaciousness and some curiosity to use this story as a jumping off point towards new stories, new opportunities, new places that you can go so that the two of you can continue growing together rather than away and apart. Thank you so much for writing in tea. I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the day. And I hope that you found that a little bit helpful and maybe as a place to start some new conversations with your girlfriend and with yourself. Thank you so much for listening. We are going to end this episode with a delicious, delicious treat. When I was at the Body Trust Provider Retreat uh, in September, October, October, in Portland with Be Nourished, one of the days they had some guest speakers come in. And one of them was Angela Braxton Johnson. Angela is this vibrant, incredible human who came in and read this poem. And the second I heard the poem, it just hit me so hard in the feels. And I asked her immediately if she'd be willing to read it for the show. And that's what we get this week. And it is all about fat bodies and pleasure and self-acceptance. Angela has recently written a book that is now available. You can check it out on her website, which is linked in the show notes and at sexgetsreal.com slash EP242. And I want to tell you just a little bit about Angela, and then you're going to hear this 15 or 20 minute chat with this beautiful poem and why she wrote it, uh, because I think that it's really important for us to be able to sit in other people's stories and delight in them around yeah, just what it means to be in our bodies. So Angela is a creative artist. In addition to teaching water aerobics, which her water aerobics pictures on Instagram look so freaking fun. I wish I was in Portland so I could do them with her. She inherited her love of music from her mother who was always singing or playing music. Mama had quite the music collection in a variety of genres. She's been singing in choirs, playing the flute, singing in groups, and even experimenting with singing in some of her poems that she's been written to share through spoken word. 
Angela's second love is writing. For her to write is to breathe. She began writing and journaling when she was nine years old and by the age of 15 was writing poetry regularly. She hasn't stopped since. Angela is so excited to be sharing her words with the world through poetry, this novel that was just recently published, and spoken word. If you want to learn more about Angela, you can head to AngelaBraxtonJohnson.com, where you can also find out about her book, Who's Watching Me? And here is Angela's poem and a quick chat around lusciousness and fat bodies and finding our ways towards ourselves. Welcome to the show, Angela. I am so excited that you're going to be sharing some poetry with us today. Thank you so much, Don, for having me. This is such a blessing. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm smiling <laughs> so like the big Kool-Aid smile. That's yes. me right now. <laughs> Yay, good. <laughs> That's what we go for. <laughs> so um, I, everyone on the, who listens to the show heard about my trip down to Portland for the Body Trust Provider Certification, and you were one of the speakers on one of the days, and I was so moved by the poem that you read called Abundant Fatness, and I just knew I wanted to have you read it on the show. So before you do that, could you tell everyone just a little bit about um, what the poem means to you, why you wrote it? Sure. I, I just wrote this poem in September, just a couple of months ago. And it came to me out of this experience, uh, kind of this lifelong experience of being in a bigger body. Um, Always, most of the most of my life, I've been fat, except for the few small chapters in my life, Mm -hmm. where I worked really hard to not be fat. And that never lasted Mm -hmm. very long. So I found body trust, I found be nourished at a time where I was just like, you know, I'm tired of this dieting. I'm tired of people. I didn't know fully what I was tired of. I just know I felt really bad. I didn't feel healthy. And some of the things I didn't discover until I began, until I began to learn about body trust. And I went to the Reclaiming Body Trust Weekend retreat. And so I've I've been on this journey pretty much since about April of 2017. And I just kind of came into my truth like I, I just recently in the past few months I've, I've stepped into this this truth of this is who I am I'm fat and that's not a bad thing and this is and and just this place of liberation so um, abundant fatness is me kind of saying this is who I am I guess kind of bucking up kind of standing up to diet culture and mm. And in, in my and in, in standing in my truth. Mm-hmm. Gosh, more of us could certainly use that in our lives. I think it's um, diet culture is very seductive, and being able to just say, "This is the space I take up, and here's how I take up that space," is, is such a powerful shift. Yes, and that's what it was. I I feel like that's what it's been. This powerful shift. That's exactly what it is. Well, would you treat us to your beautiful poem and let us hear about your abundant fatness? Absolutely. Okay. Abundant fatness. So many look at me and the first thing they see is my blackness, my fatness, my so-called obesity. Diet culture's simplicity anchored in lies rather than facts-based research from health at every size. I will not compromise my body nor my soul. No nips and no tucks. I refuse to give up my multiple belly rolls, nor any part of me to please or appease society and its trolls. Finally whole, I feast. My appetites are valid from greatest to least. Sometimes too full, sometimes incomplete. No more longing for food that's hearty and sweet. I eat from earth, trees, ocean and seas, animals, factories, and honeybees. I eat whatever I want, whatever I please, for taste, for comfort, and to be nourished. I eat whenever I'm hungry, and right now, I'm hungry for righteousness, for rightness, 
for communion with like-minded, trading my crown of like whiteness for royalty crowned with coiled truth. Spiraling traumas from my youth, I am courageously aging from princess to queen, taking up space ready to be seen while dealing with feelings and finally healing. From lie perms and straight up lies to chocolate covered melanin rooted in peace, no more numbing to disguise, my shackles released. I am up for the stoic task of removing generational masks while putting on metabolic fitness, making joyful moves while walking in the spirit. I am perplexed and vexed by your body mass index, which doesn't measure discrimination nor my intersections of stress. I don't accept my body being called obese. I'm a divinely created complex beast with modified and enlightened set points, a spirit walking and body joint. Any lesser version of me pales to my color, colorful vibrancy, immeasurable by scales. Devices can only measure small fractions of me. I'm so much more than mere eyes can see. Covered by grace, limitless love from above abides within. I am somewhat holy with a plethora of sin. Getting to know me through real life, I pen my universe of words and verse. I am largely peculiar, marginally unruly, trying to walk and step with the truth, be the true me. I wonder if folks who look see the true me. You have to look deeply and much more discreetly to see this abundant big fatness of free. Snap, snap. Oh my gosh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing that happens, girl. I'm in my 50s now. I applaud for myself. Heck yes, you should. Oh. <laughs> There's so many lines in that poem that I love and so many words. Like I love that she used the word feast and then it's just so sensual and mouthwateringly rich. And I love too how you talk about taking up space and being seen, which I think so many people think that they want, but they actually really resist because it's risky to be seen. It's so risky. Yeah. It's not it's not popular. It's this is this walk that I'm on right now, I get so much, um, you know, my, when I was, when I was dieting, if you look back at my, um, my, my news feeds or the timeline, when I was looking, when I was dieting and losing weight and everybody's like, Oh girl, you look so good. And what are you doing? And, and when I, when I stopped doing that and my body got, became fatter and mm -hmm. I, st mm -hmm. I stopped all the dieting and just started just, just being, just being my, you can hear crickets on my, <laughs> on my timelines, mm -hmm. you know, until yep. I started, you know, meeting people like you and folks through Be Nourished and uh, communities. Like I basically I'm, I'm meeting new communities because a lot of people still think that I'm promoting unhealthy living and, you know, you get all this kind mm -hmm. of flat, but no, I'm not promoting that. I'm promoting that people and bigger bodies and fat and fatness, like I embrace the word fat. Yeah. So that that people can be fat and be free and not have to try to be like something that someone tells them they, they need to try to be like. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. And I'm wondering, too, I really liked the part where you talk about courageously aging, which is also very like countercultural, you know, a culture that very much values youth. Um and I think a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with the fact that like part of aging includes a body that's changing and that may feel foreign to you. So how is courageously aging showing up for you right now? I, I think it first started back when I, I was about 37 or 38. My mother was still living. And I remember when I noticed my first gray hair. And I was like, oh, mama, I was like, oh, I was excited. I got my first gray hair. It's kind of like a, I guess it felt to me like a rites of passage. Like I, mm -hmm. I got my first gray and my, my mother was so 
She said, girl, most folks are depressed and <laughs> crying when they discover, you know, here you are um, excited. So I think that was always in me mm. to embrace, to embrace this, whoever I am, but society does beat it out of you. And I, I think now that I, like I mentioned, I'm in my fifties now and I, and I just, I'm, I feel like I'm aging courageously. Like it's not, I'm not trying to be younger. I'm not trying to look younger. Mm -hmm. Um, I, when I do things that like, I do like color in my hair, but I'm not trying to be 27. (laughs) I just like color, you know, I just like color. So I, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just, this is, I'm not getting any younger. I'm, I'm gonna go into this courageously. And part of that means that I, I think a big part of the courage for me has been, I've been part of these systems that have told me I needed to be whiter or I needed to, I needed to straighten my hair. Mm-hmm. That coiled truth is like, now I wear my hair the way it grows out of my head. Yeah. And that's not always as popular. It's becoming more popular. But, you know, when I first started locking my hair, it wasn't as popular mm-hmm. then to be, you know, my white friends would be like, why are you doing that? You know, now I have white friends with locks. So it's like, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) white folks got to take over everything they can. (laughs) Girl, that's a whole nother show, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, but the courageous, I think another part of that being courageous is like my grandmother and my mother always wore their hair straight because that's what we, they had to do to get work. You know, you, you, you couldn't wear your hair the way I'm my hair today. That wasn't uh, socially acceptable. So, so it's, there's so many layers of that, like courageously. It's like in every way that I am me, I'm going to be me. And that, and that, and that means that I'm going to talk like I talk, like instead of being like, you know, I know the language, I know how to, how know how corporate America talks. Mm -hmm. I can do all of that. And I did for years, but now I'm just going to be, this is me. And I'm going to say ain't and can't and whatever, you know, <laughs> um, because I'm being who I am. Yeah. So I have one last question for you before I let you go. And it's a little bit of a surprise, but it just came to me while I was listening to you. I wonder, as you kind of settle into this place of this abundant fatness and this courageous aging and this feasting on life, what does pleasure for you look like right now? Pleasure looks like a sunset um, at the beach, at the ocean, Um, like the sun setting over the ocean. Pleasure looks like it's so many things like the river, like the ripples of the river. Like I love water. Mm. So it looks like the sparkles that come from the, from, from seeing the ocean or the river or any body of water. Yeah. Um, it's the butterflies that I get when I see my husband oh. or when he calls me on the phone. It's pleasure is like that foot massage that he gives me. It's mm. so much more than the sensual act of making love to my husband. Mm-hmm. It's which is pleasure. <laughs> That's yeah. pleasure as well. Um, pleasure is a good soul food meal. Ooh. You know, it's it's like. It's the buttery richness of in a pound cake and that and that sweet, creamy texture of a sweet potato pie. It's the you know, it's the seasoning, it's the it's that it's all of those magical flavors that makes your my taste buds dance, you know? Mm. I'm so visual, so I, I it's pleasure is like opening up all of my senses. Where I, I'm, where I can smell, I can feel, I can taste, I can see, you know, I can, I can explore all of my senses without ridicule. Mm. Yeah. Feels luscious to just hear you t- speak. I would love it if you could tell everyone how they can stay in touch with you, because I know you've got a book coming out soon. Um, so how can people check that out? Okay, so the book um, is called Who's Watching Me? And today I've been going back and forth with my publisher to get the last little 
tweaks on the description so that ebook will be live possibly this week but i will be posting i have a website angela braxton johnson.com mm-hmm. and then i'm on instagram facebook and twitter but the ones i use the most are instagram and facebook at angela bj one the number one poet Mm-hmm. They can get on any of those um, platforms and I'll be posting about it. But And the book talks a lot about the trauma that I experienced. Um, and there's it's book one of a series. Mm. So um, it's going to be a nice bridge from where this little girl, Annie, starts, who gets, who ex- you know, she experiences a lot of trauma. And and when I, when I see this, like, I feel like abundant fatness, the journey that will come forth in my, in my books is the bridge between that little girl in this first book and to where I am now. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will definitely keep my eye out for when that book comes out. And I will have links in the show notes for this episode so that everyone can just click through to get to your website and your social media. They can follow along and find out when that book is coming out. And Angela, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and your poetry with us. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much. To everybody who tuned in, be sure to click those links and follow along with Angela, the things that she's creating we all need in our lives. And of course, you can find out more about the show and what's coming up next at sexgetsreal.com. So until next time, this is Don Sarah. Bye. You used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue. Treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder what will you do differently that rewrites an old story? revitalizes a stuck relationship or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure. Love is supposed to be